Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. So glad you're here with us today. I'll tell you what, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be strengthened. Uh, you're going to have hope. You're going to restore your hope because God wants you to have life at its best. He has paid an incredible price for you to have the best life imaginable. And you know something? I'm going to be sharing the Word of God with you to help you understand how to walk, how to walk that path of life and enjoy it to the fullest. You know, uh, we're, the name of this series that we're, that we're talking about this month is... Uh, is um, generational curses, is God really fair? Now, I'll tell you something, and I, I, I can't even believe people still think this way, but I hear people talk about generational curses all the time. Well, first of all, there isn't any such thing as a generational curse. I don't even think that phrase is in the Bible anywhere. And when God revealed and declared His goodness to Moses, so that Moses would know what to expect. Now, you might want to underline that in your mind, or if you're taking notes right now, you might want to underline this. God wants you to know what to expect from Him. Religion has made walking with God so convoluted, so the way they, the way they have interpreted scriptures, so contradictory, that the truth is you can never feel safe with God if you believe most of what is taught in religion in general. Thank God for wonderful pastors out there that preach a great word with responsibility. I believe in responsibility. I believe if you're going to live in the kingdom uh, that Jesus taught about, you know, all of his teaching was about how to have heaven on earth, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, how to enjoy it now. And one of the golden threads woven through all of those parables was personal responsibility. So <clears throat> that's not a negative thing. It's not a harsh thing. It's not a bad thing. Uh, but with all these promises, personal responsibility gets down to one thing. It is always your choice. You are the one that chooses how you will respond to life around you, how you will respond to, to the events that happen in your life, the good things, the bad things. You will choose how you respond to God's word, God's promises, and even God's warnings. And, and listen, it's about time for you to grow up and understand God's warnings are not warnings about what he will do to you. If you do foolish things, if you do ungodly, unscriptural things, his warnings are about the fruit that will grow into your life and destroy you and choke the joy and the love and the peace and the health and the happiness out of your life because of the choices you make. Man, I'm telling you what, uh, I, I, you know, I can remember, oh, way back in the, in, in the early or in the mid 70s and 80s man when I was walking this path and it was hard to find people who had anything very good to say about God it was a, it was always again convoluted uh, self-contradicting and, and you, you never felt like you could understand for sure what God was going to do so prayer became trying to talk God into doing the right thing as if we need to counsel God as if we need to tell him what the right and wrong thing is to do that's kind of man that is that is about as twisted as it gets but that's what prayer felt like prayer felt like you were trying to talk God into doing the right thing thing. And uh, 
you know something, the real truth is God's always trying to talk us into, into, into doing the right thing. So when, when God was declaring his goodness uh, before Moses, because Moses had had this experience about how good God is and, and true to how this works, Moses experienced this and then the understanding could be revealed to him. And that's the way life, so we, we think if we'll get more information about something, that then we'll understand it. No, the real truth is understanding is a faculty of the heart. It's not a faculty of the mind. And, and when we have an experience, when we believe something in our heart and we experience it, then we understand what God was talking about when he explained that to us. You know, we understand healing when we've been healed. Not when, you know, if we're not healed, uh, we don't understand it yet because if we understood it, we'd be healed and we'd be able to explain it out of, our, out of not just the Word of God, but also out of how the Word of God applies to our circumstance. So, so God always wants us to understand, but first and foremost, He wants us really to experience what He's offering. He wants to get us out of pain. He wants to get us out of suffering uh, more than He wants us just to have the right information. But then He always wants us to have the right information so we can be responsible, so we can, we can make better choices in the future, so we can end up not in trouble again you know, later on. So, so he goes through, God goes through all of these things about the attributes of His mercy. Again, you know, you know he, that He is compassionate, that, he is, that He's faithful to His Word, that He is slow to anger, that He is kind. He goes through all of these attributes, and He goes through almost every kind of sin that the Bible speaks of, in, in, indicating, you know, I'll forgive all of these different kinds of sins. There's, there's not a sin that, that I won't forgive. And, and, but then he, it comes down to something, you're thinking, what? This is not good. This is not compassion. But like almost all negative things about God in the Scripture, all it takes is a mistranslation here or there, and suddenly we change our whole view of God. And so, and, and um, I think it's in verse seven of uh, of Exodus thirty four or thirty five. He says, he says, you know, I'm just, and you know, I'll forgive all of these things. And then he says. Um, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the second and third generations. And man, suddenly you read that and you're like, what, what are you talking about? What is fair about that? What is just about that? What is compassionate? What is good? There's nothing good about that. Now, people take that scripture and just jump off the rails and immediately go to this concept of generational curses. Well, number one, he didn't say that it's curses that go from generation to generation. He said it's iniquity. Iniquity is an attitude or a mindset uh, that has to do with the beliefs of the heart. And God is not going to visit iniquity on you. That, that would be to say that God is the one that leads you into temptation, that God is the one that leads you into sin. You don't ever have to fear about God leading you into temptation. I know a lot of you say, well, well, why did Jesus teach us to pray? Lead us not in temptation. Well, again, this gets into a whole translation issue. And, uh, you know, you can't take these, uh, uh, even if you don't understand the actual translations, you can't take these things uh, that contradict everything else that we know about God and say, okay, well, so I'm going to take this instead of that because, you know, I'm going to take the negative. And that's what people tend to do. They take the negative instead of the positive. They take the negative instead of the life-giving. They take the death-giving. And, you know, you know, when something contradicts the name of God, any of the names of God, or when something contradicts how Jesus ministered to people and what he taught, 
Uh, then that's, you have to just say, oh, I, I've got a wrong understanding of this. I've got a wrong interpretation of this. Uh, because if I can't see it in Jesus' life and ministry, then evidently I'm misunderstanding it because Jesus was the exact representation of God. So anyhow, uh, remember in, in Ezekiel, I mean Ezekiel, in Exodus, when God is talking to Moses about his goodness, the very first characteristic that he expresses is that he is compassionate. Now, I think we talked about this in the very first program, and if you haven't watched these other programs, go back and go back and, and watch them. I'm telling you, it will it'll help you really get what I'm saying here. Now, <clears throat> one of the things about compassion, compassion tends to emerge when we understand people. And and so if I understand someone, for example, if 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 uh, one of my friends, my wife, my kids, whatever, if, if you know, if they come in and, and they're kind of short with me, I don't particularly appreciate, how, you know, how they're talking. Maybe they're real edgy or real direct or something or too forceful or something. You know, I, I might kind of get jacked up for a minute. But so many times I find out, oh, wait a minute, they just got some bad news. Or wait a minute, something just happened. And suddenly now that I understand, now I'm not saying that makes it all right. I'm not going to justify it in me to, to do that. And I'm not saying they're going to justify themselves. But since we seek to walk in love, when we understand why people do things, it's a lot easier to be compassionate in our, in our efforts that we put forth to help get them out of those out of those situations. And so God, when he described his goodness, first and foremost, he described it from the perspective of compassion. God is a compassionate God. And then he makes this statement. And, and again, the English says that God is going to visit the iniquity of the fathers onto the you know, children of the second, third generation. Well, the real truth is that is not what that says. And I think I referred to this Dennis Prager, Prager University, uh, a scholar in the Hebrew language, uh, talks about in his, in his book on this, on the on the uh, uh, on his commentary on on Exodus, he talks about or he translates that as it doesn't say God will visit; it says God will remember. Well, what is it he going to remember? He's going to remember when that second and third generation is being rebellious, when they're refusing to trust him, when they're refusing to, uh, uh, you know, to walk in the wisdom of his word, when they're refusing to follow him, when they get off into sin, here's what I'm going to remember, that it is the iniquity of the fathers that's being visited upon them. In other words, God's not going to look at them and go, you know something, you're just a bunch of hard-hearted, ignorant morons, and I'm going to kill you all. No, he's going to look at you and say, you know something? You didn't just decide to be this way. You got this way because of what your parents and society, and really in our day and time, we can say what your parents, what your teachers, what your governmental leaders, what your church leaders taught you. This is why you believe this bizarre stuff. This is why you don't trust God. This is why you won't walk in his ways. Now, God's not saying he's going to change the truth for you. But i tell you what God is going to do. He's going to take compassion on you because of how you have been influenced and try to draw you out of the foolishness that you're in, try to draw you out of these problems. And I want you to know, every, every time God looked at you, he understands the cultural influence that are affecting your life. Again, that don't keep those influences from destroying you. Sin always kills. It doesn't matter what your reason is for doing it. Sin kills. 
But uh, you know what? But God's not the killer here. Listen, God has a, you know, an entire history of working with flawed people. That's pretty amazing because religion will make you think that God can't use you, that God has no place for you, uh, and, you know, if you're flawed, if you make mistakes. And you, you guys have heard me talk about Abraham. You know, Abraham is the father of faith, according to the Scripture. Well, you know, I, I say, well, he's not just the father of faith in general. He's the father of faith righteousness. And he's also the father of failure because Abraham failed about as much as anybody that I know of. And you've heard me talk about this, but I'm just kind of run through it. You know, God says, listen, Abraham's over there in Ur of the Chaldees. God says, come on, come on, come on. Don't bring your family. Don't bring anybody with you. Come on. Well, what does he do? He brings everybody with him. He brings his nephew, brings his, his, his father. He brings, you know, everybody. And so he has a band of people. And so He's supposed to be going to Canaan, but instead he stops along the way and stays somewhere for years until his, until his father dies. And then, it's his, I think it's his nephew then that says, hey, we need to get on with this. You said God called you. Let's go. So they go to Canaan. And when they arrive to Canaan, you know, about 20-something years too late or behind schedule, they get there during a famine. And so God says, all right, don't worry. I can take care of you. Just whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. Well, what does he do? He goes to Egypt. Now, God has promised him that the bloodline of the, uh, of, that is going to influence the entire world is going to come from the offspring uh, of him and Sarah. And he gets down there, and Sarah is beautiful. And, you know, actually, archaeologists in the last uh, few decades have found writings about Abraham and Sarah. Uh, I, I don't remember the kind of what they call the posts that they have them on. And it talks about her beauty. And even, even at an older age, she was this incredibly uh, beautiful woman. But anyhow, so he gets down there, and, and, and so this king gets to wanting her. And he, he's willing to pimp out his own wife to save his own life. Well, wait a minute. What's going to happen if he gives his wife to this man? I'll tell you what's going to happen. The bloodline for the Savior of the world is going to be lost. And so God protects him in that situation. Well, while Abraham's there, he picks up this little servant girl and brings her back. And, and you know, God's still giving him the promises of, a, of, of all the nations of the earth being blessed through him. And, and, you know, he gets to look at her and she looks pretty hot. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know how you're going to do this now. You're going to do this between me and her. And so he has this, this child, uh, uh, Ishmael, by Hagar, the servant girl. And now he wants this child to be the one. And, and it takes 42 years for Abraham to finally come to a place where he trusts God and trusts that no matter what happens, God is going to fulfill this promise to him. You know, you see, God doesn't really use many flawless people. As a matter of fact, I, I don't find, I think the most flawless person in the Bible that I have ever found is Joseph, and he had some ego problems. And so, you know, I look at all these people who did all these stupid things, and I think there's hope for me. Maybe I can, you know, maybe I can live my destiny. You say, well, what's the point in this? Why are you sharing this? Are you encouraging us to get into sin? No, don't get into sin. Sin kills you. But I'm just telling you this. If God was looking for reasons to kill people, if he was looking for reasons to mess up people's lives, every person that he has used throughout the Bible, he would have had a great reason to do this. God is not looking at how he can mess up your life. You know, in the case of the children of Israel, he said, I'm going to remember where you came from. I'm going to remember your past. I'm going to remember these cultural influences 
And, and, and that's going to make me have compassion because I, because I understand where you came from. I've got compassion for you. But I also want you to know I'm still going to be calling you to follow me. I still want to draw you out of this. Well, the people that God ended up using, he didn't use them because they were flawless. He used them because uh, when he reached out to them. And you know the word compassion, the Hebrew word for compassion is an interesting word because uh, there's a lot of subtle nuances to it, but it is the word of a superior person actually kneeling down and reaching down to an inferior person to pick them up, to, to lift them up, to help them out in their situation. Well, I'll tell you something. God has spent all of creation stooping down and reaching his hand out to people in trouble, drawing them to him, drawing him to divine purposes, drawing them to divine life. It, you know, it is not at all what religion has. Listen, when it comes to how religion talks about God, uh, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying ever pastors this way, I'm not saying ever Christians this way, but I'm saying religion in general opposes everything about God. And pretty much everything that religion has taught you about how God is full of wrath, he's full of anger, he's judgmental, he's quick to blow up, he's got a short fuse, uh, all this kind of, th those things are pathologically false. And I use the path, the word pathological, just like a pathological liar has to lie. It's like a disease. They can't control themselves. Well, that's the way religion is. Religion can't find anything good about God. If they do find anything good about God, they turn it into liberalism uh, that still ends up getting you in sin and still ends up destroying your life. Uh, you're a flawed person. I'm a flawed person. I know it, and I don't have any shame over it. That's the past. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. Listen, Abraham is called a friend of God, even though all of these failures right here. You know, one of the most interesting guys in the Bible is David. And, you know, David is identified or described as a man after God's own heart. And so, you know, you think you find a man after God's own heart that you're going to find a guy that really don't have any problems. But everybody knows about David and Bathsheba. And, um, you know, how that he not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he arranged to have her husband killed. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, you know, you're reading through the begots. So-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot. So -and -so begot. I got news for you. There's always something. In, in some of these long uh, um, uh, chronologies and, and some of these long historical records, there's always something hidden in there if you look close enough. So it gets down to, it gets down to when Jesse... Uh, is born, and Jesse, of course, is David's father. It says, so and so begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, the king. Now, if I had been God, that would have been all I would have said about that. The king came through David, but he didn't. He went on to say, uh, and Jesse begot David, the king, and David, the king, begat Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. I'm thinking, God, what did you put it in for? I mean, why would, you, why would you put that in there? Well, I'll tell you, there, there's a lot of reasons he put that in there. But, you know, one of the things that's so interesting, you know, religionists will tell you that in your, in your marriage, if you don't do everything right to start, if you, if you don't launch everything out right, then God can't bless it. Well, if that was the case, I got news for you, then there's probably not many marriages in America or the world that can be blessed because very, very few of us do everything right. Uh, and, you know, there are people that will go around, if you started your church and, 
And uh, I remember there was a guy, there was a guy one time, a friend of mine, I liked him, he was a good guy, a great preacher, really. But every now and then he'd just come out with something crazy. And, and man, he was on this thing where, you know, if you started your church and you drew, you drew people out of another church and they came to your church, then, then this church was started in rebellion. And so it'll never, it can never be right, you know. And because you know, I'm sitting there thinking, everybody in your church came from another church. You started your church by pulling people out of another church. What, you know, what are you talking about? Well, listen, very few things start right. Uh, we've all got mixed motives and we all have these situations where, yeah, I'm doing this for some right reasons, but I got some jacked up, messed up stuff in here too. Well, God reveals this to us. And I'll tell you, this is one of the greatest things I get to share with couples. There's so many couples that are locked up. They're, you know, they're listening to religious nonsense about marriage. And, and they're thinking, God can't bless this. You know, we started out wrong. So, so, but we've got to stay together because we're going to hell if we get a divorce. And so it's like, okay, we can't get out of this. We're miserable in it. And God can't bless it. And so what do we do? We just spend the rest of our life being miserable for God. Well, look, David and Bathsheba started off in adultery. He had her husband killed. And through their marriage, Solomon was born and the bloodline of the Lord Jesus was determined through David and Bathsheba. Listen, it doesn't matter where you start. What matters is the day you wake up, the day you open your eyes, and the day you say, you know what? It's a wonder God didn't kill me. God should have killed me, but he didn't. And today my eyes are open. Today I'm turning my heart to God. Today I am I'm saying, Father, I, I accept your forgiveness. Jesus died for me. And I know you've, I know you've been offering me this forgiveness. I know you've been offering me this restoration, but I just haven't accepted. I haven't believed it, but I am now. And I'm, I'm going to follow you. You know, David says something in the book of Romans, uh, in Romans chapter four. And man, it is just one of those things that, uh, oh boy, you don't, you don't really hear anybody preaching this, uh, uh today to speak of, but it says, uh, it says this, um, it says, blessed is the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It's a blessing when God doesn't punish you for your sin? Yes, it is. It's a blessing when you don't get what you deserve. Absolutely, it is. It's a blessing. Listen, today we're talking about the fact that not just that God is not as mean and hateful and vengeful and all of that as you have been taught, but really something even more important than that. God is the God of new beginnings. You know, I've heard people talk about some people be gracious enough to, to identify that God is the God of the second chance. Well, you know something? Uh, that's really limiting how you see God. God's not just the God of the second chance. God's the God of the seven times 70 a day chances. In other words, it does not matter where you've been, how many mistakes you've made. Now, now listen, again, here's the deceitfulness of sin. Because a lot of people will hear a message like this. They go, then, then why not just sin and have a great time and, and not worry about anything? Because... The deceitfulness of sin, the trick that sin pulls on you is it hardens your heart. 
And the more you give in to sin, the more your heart changes. God's heart for you doesn't change, but your heart changes. And God will not violate your choices. And if you choose one day to walk away from God, if you choose one day that you don't want God in your life, if you choose one day to pursue a life of, of, of self-destruction, God can't stop you. Now, he'll try, he'll try to draw you. He'll try to woo you back. But he can't violate your choices because you're creating the likeness and the image of God. And you live and die by your own choices. But I'll tell you this, the moment you come to your senses, the, I, I got news for you. You're, you're going to remember the goodness of God. Why are you going to remember? Because when you come to your senses and you turn to him and, and you open your heart to him, then I'll tell you what's going to happen. Suddenly you're going to experience just like Moses did. You're going to experience these tender mercies of God. You're going to experience this cleanness, this awareness of, of the fact that you are, you are back connected with God. Now, God never left you. You, you left him. I understand that. But you're going to have a new beginning and you're going to have a heart awakening and suddenly you're going to reconnect to God. And, and maybe because of what you're experiencing now, you'll reconnect him in ways you've never, ever, ever, ever known him for. You know, the word compassion is a real inter interesting word. I'm going to run through this real quick. Because when you look at the root of the Hebrew word for compassion, the first letter has to do with new beginnings and joining yourself to God. The, the, the second letter has to do with really surrendering yourself and, and uh, um, uh, experiencing God's faithfulness to his word. And, and the wall of separation that's been between you, you know, because of your hardness of heart, uh, that's broken down. And suddenly revelation floods into your heart. And then, and then the last letter it says, then you expose yourself to the breath of God and you experience God's presence. You experience his mercy and you experience his creative power to renew you and to lift you up. Listen, God, I, I'm telling you, I am not encouraging you to sin because sin is deceitful and your heart will get hard. And man, you can destroy your marriage. You can destroy your kids. And stop and think about it. Do you want your children and your grandchildren, do you want their lives to be turned away from God because of your hardness of heart, because of your iniquity, because of your rebellion, because of your sin, because of what you model to them, what you say to them. No, no, I know you don't. Great thing is God's so good that even if you do that, he's going to have understanding for them. He's still going to try to draw them back to you. Listen, I've got an incredible series, uh, a six message series called uh, Generational Curses. Is God really fair? And I'll tell you, we explore this whole thing about whether or not God is really fair. Now, listen, you can't believe what the Bible says or what religion says about the Bible. You, you, you just can't believe it and believe that God's fair. You'll never know for sure if you can trust him. You'll never know for sure what he's going to do, what he's not going to do. And so, you know, I encourage you, hang in here with me through these series. I'm probably going to add a couple more messages to this, even though it's at the, at the end of the month. I think, I think we're going to add a couple more messages. And don't forget, by the way, man, we've got Heart Physics Weekend coming up in the third weekend in October. And I'm going to be uh, talking about uh, meditative prayer. And I'm going to be releasing my new book called On Keys to the Kingdom. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take you to a dimension of prayer and walking in faith that you, you may have never, ever, ever experienced. And I, I want to move you 
from, okay, I know the doctrine of all this, to I know how this works, and I'm going to make it work in my life. So, man, got great things coming. I'm going to be sharing a couple more messages. And by the way, uh, go to impactministries.com. I got hundreds of free videos on there that you can watch. I will help you. That will be a blessing to you. And uh, if you like this message, if this helps you, comment on this. And because we love to get your comments, love to get your questions. Uh, like it. This, you know, when you like something, it, it causes more and more people to have the opportunity to do this. You can subscribe to, to uh, if you're watching this by YouTube, you can subscribe to this. Uh, but every every week on Thursday, we release a new message from here. And uh, also, you can share this with your friends. Man, you, you're bound to be able to think of some people who think, God is done with me. I've gone so far, you know, God cannot recover me. I got news for you. I've dealt with every kind of perversion you can imagine. I have seen people come out of anything and everything. And God loves you and he wants to restore you today. So listen, I'll see you next week. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.